Hey, welcome to The Edge Show, episode number 130. My name's Rick Claus, and I thought being that it's the end of the year, we try something a little different. Uh, I managed to track down a video that our friend over on Channel 9, Larry Larson, shot with Mark Racinovich, uh, the CTO of Azure, specifically around inside the Azure storage outage that took place on November the 18th. So uh, stay tuned, take a look at this little video, and we'll be right back. So one of the things that we really embrace on Channel 9 is transparency in what we do at Microsoft. And there was a, uh, a recent outage with Azure. Um, and when we saw this, we wanted to get a, a full debrief of exactly what happened. So we have the CTO of Azure, Mark Rusinovich, here. And uh, tell us exactly what happened on the 18th. Thanks for having me here, Larry. So this incident started on the evening of November 18th when we rolled out a configuration change to our storage service. And that configuration change caused the storage front ends to enter an infinite loop and hang those front ends and essentially shut down access to the storage service through those front ends, which caused an impact on anybody using those front ends to access their storage accounts. That impacted a number of regions. Uh, when the incident happened and our alerts went off that storage was down and customers were experiencing problems, we began to investigate and identify that root cause of that configuration change. The next step, of course, was to roll out an update to that configuration to revert that change. We ran into a problem with doing that, unfortunately, because the front ends were frozen, so they weren't receptive to the updated configuration. And that forced us to go and manually recycle the storage front ends to pick up that configuration change. That incident, that first incident of the storage outage from the rollout of that configuration change to us getting the storage servers, services up and running across the world was about five hours end to end. Now, when that incident was over, our virtual machines that were impacted by it automatically restarted, which they're designed to do. And unfortunately, a number of those virtual machines, when storage was coming back online, did not enter a healthy state. And so when storage was coming back online, we expected the call volume, call support volume to drop. We expected the virtual machines to start entering healthy states, and we didn't experience that. So that uh, initiated a second investigation into this secondary incident. And what we found during that investigation is that there were three root causes for the virtual machines not getting into a healthy state. So over the course of the next several hours, uh, we as we performed the investigations, we came up with mitigations for them. We were working with customers to identify which virtual machines were impacted, working with them to initiate recovery where that was necessary. We actually, at that point, brought in the whole engineering team to help out with the effort. And incrementally, we, were, we addressed all these virtual machines, brought them back online. And over the course of about two days, we made it through all of our customers that were impacted and got all those virtual machines back online. Was this deployment done differently from uh, the usual way? Yep. In fact, I'm glad you asked. I've got an animation here that shows you the way that we typically roll out storage con code changes as well as configuration changes. And I'm going to walk through what the normal process is, which we did follow for the code update that was behind this bug. Mm -hmm. So this bug was actually an infinite loop bug, like I mentioned, in the storage front ends. That code, though, we rolled out in an inactive way and then we're able to activate it with a configuration change and then test that configuration change on the activated code. So the way that we rolled out the code itself was to follow our normal procedure, which goes 
storage stamp by storage stamp. And storage stamps are geo-paired, such that we've got two regions, for example. In this case, uh, I've got North Europe, and I'm going to show you West Europe. And those storage stamps would be geo-paired, such that we only update one region and then make sure everything is healthy and before we go and start updating the storage stamps in the second region. So here at the storage stamp one in North Europe has been updated. We do health checks on it and then we roll out to the second storage stamp. That looks healthy, so then we roll out to the third stamp. And this is the, the code itself, but it was inactive at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Then once that the half of the region uh, geo-pair has been updated, then we go to West Europe and we follow the same procedure there. Storage stamps by storage stamps, gradually rolling it out and if, until the whole world's been updated. Then at that point, what happened is we took this configuration change, which activated that piece of code, which is the table service performance optimization. And we then rolled out that configuration change to one stamp, and we tested the table service, and which had now had that code path activated for it. And mm -hmm. we saw dramatic improvement in table performance. Then we rolled it out to a second storage stamp. Again, we let production load hit the performance improvement, saw that there was a significant improvement in table performance. Now, this is where the process broke down. We've got a policy that we follow this storage stamp by storage stamp, gradual rollout, one region, then followed by the second region. But in this case, there was a human error that said, hey, this performance improvement is so dramatic, and the risk of this change impacting anything else is so small that let's go and push the configuration out to all the storage stamps. Uh, the problem here was that the configuration change that was tested enabled this code path just for the table service. Mm -hmm. But what was pushed out across the world inadvertently had the optimization turned on for the blob service as well, and that's where the bug showed up, is certain blob API would hit the storage stamp and cause this to trigger the infinite loop. Mm -hmm. You can see it in this picture even, it didn't affect all the storage stamps. We've got storage stamp three down there where that blob API in, with the special parameters was never called, and so that storage stamp was unaffected. But we had many storage stamps across the world that were now in this kind of state. Mm -hmm. So the, the bottom line is that a violation of our standard policy for a gradual rollout was violated for yeah. this performance improvement. How can you help prevent a global deployment from ever happening again? So I'm, I showed how we our normal deployment process follows this staged gradual rollout that does one region and then the region pair. And that policy is something that is followed by procedure. And we saw in this case, as we look at it, that a human violated that procedure and made a, a, la a misjudgment. So what we've done is gone back. Within two days, we updated deployment systems to enforce that policy so that humans now are bound by the policy that we want to put in place, which is the staged rollout deployment that goes region by region. So you mentioned a second incident that you had. S say more about what happened there. What what was that second incident? Yeah, I mentioned that it was a virtual machine, impact on virtual machines. So mm -hmm. a bunch of virtual machines didn't come back into a healthy state the way that the automated virtual machine recovery was intended to get them back into that state. And there, were, as we did the investigation, we found three root causes for virtual machines not being in a healthy state. One of them was that customers were provisioning new virtual machines as the storage service was coming back online, and the storage service was being hit with uh, extremely high load. And so the provisioning process was taking longer than normal. So some Windows machines got stuck in the provisioning process. And so the resolution for that was to simply redeploy those new virtual machines. Uh, second in co uh, root cause was virtual machines that 
were slow to boot after the initial recovery and didn't get, uh, and their disks failed to come online. So Windows has a timeout in it when it's probing the disks, and if that timeout succeeded, Windows complains that there's no disk available. Mm -hmm. And so the fix for those was to simply reboot those virtual machines. And then the, there was a third cause that we discovered as we were investigating the virtual machines, and that was a, a, error, a bug in the networking service that prevented those virtual machines from obtaining IP addresses. And so we fixed that bug by rolling out a, a change to the networking services that didn't cause any restarts or impact any of the virtual machines and got those virtual machines now back into a healthy state. So with those uh, three bugs, uh, like I mentioned, and getting these virtual machines, talking to customers, identifying which ones were actually in these states, uh, that took us through that two-day period to get all of the virtual machines back into a healthy state. So it seemed like customers were confused about the status of the problem when it occurred. Uh, what happened there? So our, the primary way that we communicate status of our services to our customers is with the Azure Service Health Dashboard, or Azure Status. This is a web page where they go and they see messages about the health of the overall service and then for particular regions and services if there's an incident ongoing. That Service Health Dashboard was, it runs on top of Azure Storage, and so it was impacted by this incident. We've got a secondary Service Health Dashboard deployment that was failed over to, but because this was kind of a gray failure where all of storage that it was dependent on wasn't out, we had both the primary and the secondary trying to feed status into the dashboard, and this is what caused misleading information and out-of-date information to show up in the dashboard and confuse your customers. How are you working to assure customers after this incident? So we've uh, gone back and, and looked at the platform uh, from a variety of different angles with through the lens of this incident, and have identified a number of improvements that we're going to make and have made starting with some that are in the technology category. So one I mentioned was that we went and updated the storage deployment tools to prevent anybody from violating that stage rollout policy. The second thing we've done is gone and looked at how we can improve the resiliency of our virtual machine infrastructure when their, uh, their automated recovery kicks in and a bunch of virtual machines are starting up and placing a high load on storage where the storage IOs might be slow when there's high load. This, the third one is that we're working with the Windows team to improve detection and recovery of Windows itself during the provisioning process when it is impacted by slow IOs under similar circumstances so that it doesn't get stuck in an intermediate state mm -hmm. and then require a customer to go to rede redeployment, that it makes it all the way through provisioning. And then finally, I mentioned that there was a network programming bug that prevented some VMs from getting their IP addresses. That fix went out into production as part of the mitigation during the actual incident. We're also making a number of improvements to our communications, and I mentioned that the Service Health Dashboard was showing inconsistent information because of the gray failover that it experienced. We've already gone and made changes to that logic so that it will completely fail over and not show mixed information from the primary and the secondary. We've also gone and looked at this situation and said, what if storage was completely down and the Service Health Dashboard was completely inoperable? So we've gone and made a, a site outside of Azure Azure's infrastructure that ho can host a service health dashboard view and redirect the service health dashboard to it in the case of something like this happening so that we can still communicate through that vector with our customers. And then as part of this incident, as this incident went on, we discovered that a lot of customers expected and wanted us to communicate with them through Twitter mm -hmm. and that the blog where we posted that initial RCA, that customers were looking for more information there. So we're right now revising our policies around the use of social media like Twitter and Facebook 
as well as making sure that we update the blog in a more timely way to let customers what's going on through that avenue as well. What would you say to a customer who questions the reliability of Azure after this incident? Well, I would say that one of the things that we realize and recognize in Azure every day is that customers are placing their trust in us. When they put their data in Azure, when they run their applications in Azure, in many cases when they bet their businesses on Azure, we take that trust that they're placing in us extremely seriously. And so for an incident like this, we take a look at uh, from the top to the bottom, what can we do to prevent something like this from happening again, mm -hmm. what we can do to um, improve the situation when incidents happen so that we can communicate better, so that we can fix the problem more quickly, so we can diagnose the problem more quickly. We take a look at that from the top to the bottom, and we continue to plan engineering improvements and uh, improvements across the platform to make it better. And we take the, the feedback that our customers give us because uh, in some cases they're telling us what they would like to see from us. We take that and we got uh, some great feedback as a result of this incident that we're feeding back into that process of improving the platform. So I'd say that it is a, a trust that we really were honored by and we want to live up to and that we continue to improve the platform to continue to earn that trust. Well, thank you for coming in and talking about this. I mean, I really appreciate the, the transparency and being able to find out right from the source exactly what happened here. Thanks, Larry. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that. I thought that was rather informative, kind of interesting to hear what Mark had to think about uh, what went on during that particular storage outage. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, you can more than welcome to comment below here on the video or uh, inside the description area we've got links to the actual detailed blog post itself with even more technical detail uh, as well as links to the original video as well in case you want to follow the conversation there. If you want to get in touch with us uh, over the holiday break or in the new year you can do so over Twitter with at sign TN Edge. If you want to talk to me I'm at sign Rickster CDN on Twitter. And you can also catch us on the Facebooks if you're interested on facebook.com slash channel 9 the Ed show in case you wanted to catch us over there. Have a great time and have a happy holidays and we'll catch you in the new year.